welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon, and I'm here with Lou. You <laughs> sound so excited. I am. Okay. Oh, you know, seriously. What? I'm here with Lou, and I'm not even going to do your last name anymore. How come? Because. Not that I care, but I'm curious. Because I didn't do it right for two and a half, three oh. years. You know there's an earring in here? Yes, I found it this morning. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so random. I look over to the side of my desk and I'm like, there's an earring. Yep. What have you been doing? I haven't been doing anything. What mm, earring? That's Cole's earring from who? Cole from MVPA side. Oh. Yeah. Well, I would imagine. There's an earring in the my, only other there's woman an earring in my here. studio. Yep. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's been a hell of a couple days, huh? Yes. So we'll just start right into it. First of all, um, lots of people were like, oh my God, I didn't realize so much about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp after last week's show. And currently, Dr. Shannon Curry, who all love and respect goes to her because she's an amazing psychologist. She's testifying right now on the rebuttal side of Johnny Depp. And um, the reason why I would even venture to talk about that is not because of the entertainment value of the whole case, as I did last week, is that people often think that psychology and psychiatry is very soft, gushy, wishy science mm -hmm. and that there's no real, like, you know, we just talk about feelings and, you know, right. we just diagnose, we diagnose and assess and just like, wing it. And I think the better part of my 27 year career here, I've been, I can't count how many times I've explained, well, there's really more science and research behind it than you think, because it's all based in research and it's based in theory that then gets researched, that then has validation, that then gets generalized to X, Y, and Z kind of right. personality traits or diagnoses or whatever. So, um, to but that, to the public, there aren't lab results. There isn't a number you can point to. Well, so there is. So there are numbers. Yeah. So so we can. So there's, you know, sufficient enough you know correlation causation numbers that we come out right. with, with from quantitative studies and qualitative studies but then when we have significant differences there's a whole reason why people don't probably know this but when you go to become a doctor like myself or you go to well or you become the other type of doctor that does prescription medication in this field we have to go through really vigorous and rigorous both mm -hmm. um statistical training and we have to do our own publish work of uh, science, of theory that we come up with, then we then test, and then we have the outcome. So um, I did that. Uh, everybody that goes through to get where, where I have my degrees, all people have to do that, um, which means you have to have a level of degree of knowing of um, statistical significance and relevance of how to actually qualitatively understand data, how it relevant, how it's relevant to understanding or predicting out behaviors or patterns mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and it's not, you know, voodoo. It's actually real based mathematical science that comes down with you can generalize to a certain certainty on many things because of this information. So what I got questioned about last week after the show by several people was how do you determine diagnoses? Because oftentimes, you know, you walk into, you know, your pediatricians or your primary care or someone's office and they just slap a diagnosis on because right. you go through the symptom checklist and the symptom checklist, like it's called the Beck depression inventory and the Beck anxiety inventory. And there's, and the PTSD scale, um, they're all great, but what they are is they're face valid. They, they, they tell you what they're looking for. And when you go into your regular doctor's office and then they give you a diagnosis right off of that, it's because the 20 questions are all about depression. Mm -hmm. The 20 questions are all about anxiety. And the checklist is very brief on the PTSD scale. It gives you every single symptom. It actually teaches people yeah. how to... It teaches people how to actually have the symptoms or to know what the symptoms are to be looking for so that, you know, unfortunately, in criminal and in civil cases, it's probably PTSD is one of the most overutilized, overfeigned um, defenses that people use as to why they are doing or have done what they've done or something's happened. Because when they get tested, air quoting, when they get tested, unfortunately, oftentimes people get those checklists. Checklists are not always um, 
the most valid. They're valid for the fact that they're obvious on front and then they can say, you know, you can endorse yes, 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 yes. But the but you can the downside, game, you can game the test if you want to. Well, right. And yeah. on the other side is if you really want to have that be seen as something you have, well, now you not only do have you checked them all off because now you've learned them. Yeah. So like when people come into my office and we do assessment and I diagnose, I don't diagnose off of one time. I do many, many different, uh, in, you know, chats and scales and other kinds of things. Um, and then I send them off for usually a referral to like a larger testing thing if I need to, or I do it myself, but there's very specific tests that have to do with, um, not just checklists and obvious things. There's there's good tests and you can never just give one. You never base a diagnostic in these kinds of cases off of one test. You base them off of multiple tests that, that are specifically created with sort of a backdoor check and balance of whether or not it can detect a person trying to exaggerate, right. a person underplaying, a person looking better than they are, looking worse than they are. And they can't get past it because it's not face valid. It doesn't look, right. you can't right. tell what it's looking for. So a person who has like psychopathology and, and, and psychosis and things like that, sometimes they can pass through some of these questions, but what it does is it catches it in these other forms mm -hmm. to catch. And it shows us like on little configuration scales, like, Oh, there'll be three points where, Oh, this little piece of, oh, PTSD came up high. But then there's these other little points that will generate to say, this is likely the reason why. So so for someone like Amber Heard, and um, she had reportedly lots of trauma growing up. Mm -hmm. So her configuration scale from a couple of weeks ago of trial showed that she had PTSD, but what was, but no one talked about what was driving it. And what was driving it was these two little pieces that they didn't talk about, which was talked about this morning in the testimony is that it showed like long-term from past, not current, right. more recent past. So, and our, our ability in psychology and psychiatry to, to systematically refine down to really almost perfection, which there is none, but almost to the detail of like dif the difference between a mood disorder, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, a thought disorder, PTSD, anxiety, that those types of tests that are not just checklist face valid. Right. Um, those actually can tell us what really is going on in a person and they they're objective they don't have any wiggle room in them really to be fake they're you know people will say all the time oh, i can fake a test right mm. yeah there's there's the some of these are like the cat five for um ptsd it's very hard to, to fake that test so um i think that it's important for people to know that yeah people can sit in a room and talk to me or or their psychiatrist about i'm not feeling well and this is why and so on but we come from a background and, and psychologists are specifically trained, like I'm trained in diagnostic and assessment. And then I give treatment and intervention based on the fact that I know how to diagnose and assess to a very high level and then in my specialty and then do that. So for instance, this woman who's on the stand today doing the rebuttal, Shannon Curry, Dr. Curry, she's specifically, I believe, a forensic psychologist. Mm -hmm. She So she's very much specialized in how to do these types of tests. Whereas I do a lot of projective testing and objective testing for figuring out whether or not someone has a mood-related disorder, ADD, um, it's sometimes PTSD because I work with veterans, you know, um, and, and there's very detailed things to do that. So I She just has wanted... to account for the fact that there is probably a preferred outcome to the test that the people she's giving them to are taking. Well, and, and that's the thing. So there's an incentive for people that have court cases, for instance, right. right? In this particular, there's incentive for people who have court cases that are claiming X, Y, and Z to look right. like they're, they want to. So they find someone that will do those tests or they do them in the wrong order, which is what apparently has happened in this case, which happens sometimes, or they are given only some of the tests that really don't have any real merit or measure that's beyond face value. Um, and if you give those checklists before you give the actual detailed tests, now if a person hasn't even gone, even you can go on Google and you can't find everything because it's not yeah. all out there. If you give those tests to someone who's 
interest is to make sure that they look really not well or they look better than they are. Now you've taught them. Right. Yeah. So so the the investment of the client is definitely there in those kinds of civil and criminal cases. Um, sometimes in in regular everyday cases, too. I mean, I've certainly had my share over the years of people who have feigned things because of for a variety of reasons, not necessarily for court cases, but there's this, we call it secondary gain. They get attention, not necessarily good attention, but they get attention for having someone say they are really worse than they, right. you know, or they're way better than they are. So, um, but it's just, I think an educational piece for people to understand that psychologist isn't about talking about feelings and that psychology for the most part, I mean, certainly people out there, some people don't really know about some of the stuff, what they're doing, but we're all trained when we're at this level whether we use it or not, we're all trained to always build a theory around a person's presentation of how come they came to be who they are, and then build out treatment and interventions based on the fact of that. And it's never one standard. It's being able to pull the whole picture together and not just because somebody did a checklist and said, yay, I'm okay, because you go into the primary care. I mean, I just had my physical a couple of weeks ago and they have to, they have to administer the BDI, the Beck depression inventory. I always giggle because yeah. it's 20 questions of, it, it's are obvious. You, it's are like, you depressed? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you feel sad? Do you feel, yeah. you know, and it's a measure of like how severe, you know, uh, you know, always, sometimes never. It, yeah. It's just obvious. So, you, you know, you want someone to give you medication. That's, you know, and it's easy and they throw the standard medication. So just for people to be mindful of that, that it's not always as, as, um, as soft as people think it is. And it's, it's very much science-based and, um, especially when it comes to cases like that. So if you're out there watching this case that's going on right now, or any other cases that you're interested in, or you watch forensic files or all those shows, know that when someone comes on as a forensic psychiatrist or psychologist, there is, or a clinical psychologist like I am, there's a lot of training that goes into our assessment and diagnostic ability. And it's not just, you know, you're not throwing chicken bones in a circle in the sand. Right. And, yeah. and, and unfortunately, because Dr. Curry's there today, she's doing the rebuttal um, to the doctor that testified for Amber Heard. Again, you know, I don't, I don't think that there's probably anything specifically necessarily wrong with it. I saw the doctor's testimony that did that a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember her name now. Um, she did, she did the test, but she did them in the wrong order. She didn't like, for whatever reason, I don't know enough about her background, so yeah. we can't knock her, but she definitely knew the test. She gave a, a 12 tests, I think. And I think seven or eight of them were checklists and then a whole bunch of them that really mean something were there, but they all showed exactly what I'm saying. They all showed that she was exaggerating. She was feigning. She was minimizing things that made it and she didn't know. Mm -hmm. So obviously it popped it out because that's, it, it was very detailed to show that. So it's just so, an educational like PSA for people like saying, Oh, it's, you know, you know, psychology is a bunch of right. bunk and all that stuff. It's really not. And we do, you know, we are the backbone of giving diagnostics to your primaries, to your psychiatrist, to other people to make sure that you get the right help if you really want it. And to also weed out people that I, I've had many, many a session over the years where I've said, this is not, unfortunately, this is not how it's tested out. Yeah. And, and much to people's disappointment. Okay. Well, I'm curious about that. Because that's an interesting syndrome. But mm -hmm. giving the test in the wrong order would be what you talked about. It predisposes the patient to be able to answer the more disguised tests right? differently. Yeah. Because it teaches. like So when you're talking about PTSD specifically, when you have the PTSD scale, the basic right. one, the one that's just the checklist, it lists every single symptom yep. that you could have. So if you didn't know all those symptoms and you've taken that before you've taken the actual detailed CAP-5, now you, now you know. Now, a person who Plus has... Plus, you may be predisposed. I mean, people, anyone who's gone to WebMD, you end up having everything. Well, that, and <laughs> yeah. certainly people have investment to look for things and whatever. Yeah. And But I also think that there... So when we're talking about... So personality disorders, for instance, people who have personality disorders, and you know, everyone has a little personality feature of a disorder. Like we all have a little narcissism. We all have a little histrionic, mm -hmm. which is being dramatic. We all have a little bit of, you know, paranoia from time to time, you know, like yep. whatever those things are, but it's not a matter of like, oh, if you have it, that means you have the disorder. Everybody has features. It's whether or not it becomes 
psychopathological or pathological on the scale to the extreme? Are you on the are you on the bell curve, or are you two three standard deviations past the bell curve? Um, once you start getting those deviations away from the, the norm, that's when you start seeing okay, we have more of an issue. And it the, becomes a lens at that point with that you see every, all stimulus through. This is kind of probably what you're talking about with Amber, where the PTSD was back in history. So right. it has colored everything. And I, and, and that makes, so trauma in childhood can, and often, but can, doesn't always, but can lead to the perceptual distortion field that comes in adulthood that has the lens of sort of that borderline personality disorder, which is poor relational skills, poor, I love you, I hate you, very abusive, very volatile, very, very happy at moments, maneuvering. I don't ever use manipulation because it's all strategies of coping. And I've yeah. talked about this in previous shows. People, people in general who have been damaged, even the smallest little damages, who have, you know, none of the things that we're talking about at the bigger scale, but Everyone learns how to have defense mechanisms that protect themselves from whatever the thing was that created that problem. Right. And the more those things are or the extreme they are or the perception of how they are doesn't mean, you know, I could have given you like a flick on the nose when you were little and you turned into you got punched or hit with who knows, but the, it's how you perceive it. And then it then translates out into the world. So, again, I've not had any contact with the two in this case, but in general, people with personality disorders, which she's being touted as having, Amber Heard is, um, in general, people with personality disorders are are much more likely, um, forensically, to maneuver the system in the way that they do. So I'm not likening Ted Bundy to Amber Heard at all, so please yeah. don't. But Ted Bundy had a amazing personality disorder of epic proportion of narcissistic and histrionic personality disorder. And, and, and as we've seen probably his documentary, I mean, and he fed off of that and it made him look amazingly well-connected and charming and smart and all these things. But at the same time, it turned off that switch of being able to have an a, a remorse and empathy piece because he had no, you know, no soul. Right. So, it, you know, and so when a personality disorder becomes so entrenched in someone there's there is no reality ground to say are you in reality with me because the person believes how they believe what they're in is right. real yep. and so and i think that now going away from ted bundy but just talking about people like in this particular case personality disorders are often not based in reality they're based in that distortion of your perception to protect yourself as a coping strategy and so you know and a person who's had trauma and they have investment or they want money or there's something invested for them to gain, they will utilize their personality disorder to exacerbate, enhance, or go after yep. whatever it is that they are looking for. So unfortunately, I think that I think that's what's happened in this case. And so I don't want to belabor the point of that case too much longer, but I, I was just very fascinated today. <clears throat> and over the past week, people being like, well, how does anyone really know? Well, actually, in our field, people, we really do know. We have we have correlation and we have causation. We can tell what causes something and we can tell what's correlated. Um, you know, and that was a big thing. And that's always a big thing in psychology. You know, you can make correlations or you can make causation. And that's a very... Never confuse the two. And and they are not the same. Yep. You know, the, you know, just because, you know, my, my Johnny Depp's drinking... And alcoholism might be correlated to his upbringing. And then it might also cause his drinking. So it's about, and then we look at it and we, and there's very specific pieces that go yeah. into. Well, the, the famous example is 98% of all murder, murders grew up on white bread. Mm. Like that's a correlation. It's not a causation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so never confuse the two. The, the problem on day-to-day -day main street, would seem to be that this is all kind of a moving target. It ebbs and flows, right? I mean, even with disorder features or mm -hmm. or problem features, that's on a day-to-day -day basis, whatever you see in your, your office on that particular day. And on, we're trying to relate with other people, and those features may be more prominent on one day than another. Yes. So interesting. Yes. So sometimes, depending on what the 
um, distress tolerances in the person of what's going on in their day to day, you'll see more exacerbation of the symptoms than another. Yeah. Um, some people are very consistent because they have good self-observing ego, not in the way that I would say is healthy, but they self-observe to the extent that they manage those symptoms to make sure they stay constant yeah. because they're aware enough that they need to present in the world in an unhealthy enough way to maintain, right? So like malingering, yeah. people who malinger along um, and want to make sure that they still are seen as a certain way. Um, people who have like, you know, the factitious disorders or people who, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Munchausen's, by proxy, there's an investment there to look a certain way mm-hmm. so that you seem normal or you seem crazy, right? Um, used loosely. Yeah. So yes, so it's it's a very interesting phenomenon because they, they can shift. Um, anecdotally, I'd say that a personality will shift more naturally because a person's mood or day-to-day stuff is day to day, like some weeks, you know, we see each other and it's like, oh, I can tell nothing bad has happened this morning versus some weeks it's like, "Mm -hmm." right. So it's the same thing. So you have to look at our personalities. If they're disordered, they will ebb and flow with that. If a person's actively trying to put on that act, you can see the exaggeration. So not, oh, I'm going to go back to this case because it's perfect. But uh, um, when a person is presenting, and I think I said this last week, when a person is presenting about their depression, their anxiety, their PTSD or whatever in those cases or in, in, in psychology, there's a very specific way or I call it a cluster of emotions and feelings in the way it's presented by everybody. Mm-hmm. This is where that that common bond of generalization of like PTSD presents in this way by and large and depression presents in this way. And when you see someone that's pushing and has to really, the facial expressions change and anyone that has trauma, it comes very naturally. It's very easy to see it because the person doesn't have to pull for it. The person doesn't have to look up and look right. for it in their head. They don't have to. So an interesting thing about forensic psychology, which is one of the pieces I love about neurology, and I teach about this in my addictions class, is that when someone is wanting to lie, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're lying fully. They'll look up. They I won't teach it on this because I don't want people doing it. Yeah. But there's a specific tell and how people use their eyes and mm-hmm. how they piece things together in their head. And if you're if you're a good watcher of that and that's what i do in my field if you're a good watcher of that you can actually detect a person's level of deceit now you can't put a number on it you can't say oh but you can you go in with a great level of skepticism to say this person is actively right so i just did did that thing about actively trying to omit certain things but yet there's pieces of truth, but then they're manufacturing to make it into the story that they need. And you can see it versus a person who's generally coming out with authenticity about their experience. It just comes. Sometimes right. it's just like a little pause here and there because a person is filtering out like an unnecessary piece or like, it, but by and large. Yeah, that's searching for natural. a narrative. That look is searching for a narrative. Right. Yeah. And how to piece it together. Right. So if you, if you, poor Amber, I'm going to use her again. If you go back and you watch Amber in the first week or so of her testimony, you can see her piecing the pieces together in her head. Now, of course, people that are team Amber will say probably, well, it's because she's, she's upset. She's traumatized. She's plus it's caught your script. Well, right. And you have to be careful and all those things, which I understand, but still at the end of the day, Trauma still comes out. A person asks you a question about it. You immediately get the image. It immediately comes to you. And the response is either hesitated and then given, or there's a very specific way that it comes out. And And they'd be fighting to return the script because you're you're told to give certain words and certain phrases and the way to present. Right. But the trauma will come through first and then they'll have to return to the narrative that they give. And and that's and that's and that's a huge piece that was missing in in her. Yeah. And and one of the biggest tells when you watch people who tell a story, you can even do this in your own daily, a person who can become very emotionally dysregulated and look at and, you know, and doing all their mourning, groaning sounds, and all that stuff. And within 
less than a millisecond, bring it back to flat face or a smile or just a stone face. That's not your typical presentation. Yeah. Now, by saying not your typical, people would say, well, there's always exceptions to the rule. Yes, but again, just like the testing, it's your body acts as one of those really solid tests because our body will tell you mm -hmm. what's really gone on. That's why when children can't use words, yeah. you can tell because our, our bodies are hardwired through our neurology to show something and the child can say no nothing's wrong but the body tells a different story so when sexual abuse happens to little kids there's you know diagnostically lots of really obvious tells which i won't tell here because people yeah. listen and then they go and do you know think yeah. about it but it's it makes it easier because kids are so innocent and they're not guarded around because they don't realize that their bodies are telling and their words are saying something different so and our ability to read that is a primal skill right we are very good at it yes and well, should, some people are and should trust it. well yeah but if you have the skill it's a matter of how much you mask it or how much you ignore it or how much you you bastardize it right. but if you you should trust your you know you should trust your instincts yes yeah. and you know in that gut feeling like you know people always say oh gut feelings intuition for the for the norm the bell curve right because gut feelings and intuitions are there for a reason and they're they're good for people who are empaths highly sensitive people right but you also have to be careful because a lot of times when you have personality disorders or you have like trauma yep. true trauma in your background your gut instinct will lead you down the wrong path a lot of the time because you'll be super hyper vigilant about things or you'll be super um flashbacked to things or super triggered or whatever it is that is happening to you and then the umbrella or the or the mirror that you're looking through is not accurate well is it the instinct that betrays you or is it your preferred outcome in other words i think we override our instincts a lot of time with the outcome we want to see that person is in distress so that person is not in distress sure and so you, you talk yourself out of what your gut is telling you well i think i think certainly that happens a yeah. lot of time if you just take an example of you know you're in a, a relationship and the relationship is you know seems okay but then all of a sudden you know the guy starts you know sporadically calling or you know and then all of a sudden you're like oh no they're really busy you start making excuses whereas right. your gut's going like something's up yep. something's up you know yeah. because people want the outcome to not be abandonment not be rejection right. i mean that i use that example because i see that so many times a week in my practice and it has to do with friendships and just regular not even romantic relationships but just regular things like i don't want someone to leave me i don't want someone to right. abandon or feel rejected so i'll make the minimization that you know this behavior isn't really that bad or this isn't gonna hurt me or whatever but in fact the gut and the intuition is like mm, mm -hmm. it's not good yeah there's a big red flag here um and as you know i'm not a big sugar coater so when someone tells me what their intuition or gut instinct is, I will flesh that out more with them so that they can have more trust in it yep. um, or challenge it with a different perception because sometimes it is based in old stuff that might not actually be because it's it, you can tell some, sometimes, not always, when it's a little too extreme or a little too paranoid, yeah. a little too suspect. Um, I certainly have a couple of clients that go right over that edge but they've worked with me so long now that they, they will say, am I over the edge? <laughs> and I'll say, yep, we're probably over the edge yep. on this one because, and then it's not because I'm saying we're over the edge. We actually do. Let's look at three different scenarios here. What's the reality? What could it really be? Could it be this, this, or this always triangulate or quadruple? But then this, this goes, gets us back to the lens that your trauma has given you right? and how you perceive things. And that overrides your instinct. Right. And the problem with that, especially when you're dealing with another person, is you don't know what lens they're looking through. Right. And often the adjacency of stimulus doesn't make sense. In other words, this small thing will not land. Right. But that small thing lands. A, right. a particular phrase, for example, because right. some people are traumatized by a particular phrase of dismissal or, you know, whatever it is, whatever right. it represents to them in their trauma. And you think it's perfectly innocent because you don't have that trigger. You don't have that lens to look at that. Right. So you don't understand why it landed the way it did. Right. And and when and that's why people get so triggered by people's words sometimes yep. is because what would not even phase me would phase you. Right. Because your experience has dictated that that type of phraseology or that inflection or inferred whatever 
is there and present for you where it's not for me. Now, as a psychologist, over time, what I've learned is I hear it and then I generate like multiple things. Like I can see that lens where it possibly is and why it's like that. And then I can generate multiple other lenses of what could possibly be going on because that's my job, right? Yep. To be And then to give that person that lens that, well, it could also be this. It could also be this. Um, but and, we work on the assumption that what we say is heard exactly how we say it and exactly how we mean it with right. other people. And 99% of the time, that's not true. It does right. not land the same way you said it. You have to be aware of that and account for it. And I, and that's one of the problems in relationships is people say, you know, when you say, well, that you said this and this is what it did to me. And the person says, but I didn't mean to, or I didn't intend for that to be like that. Or I didn't int mm. intention. Don't be a baby. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. Right. Um, intention doesn't, you know. Right. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It's, I didn't mean to stab you. Well, I mean, you can have that discussion too, so that the person sees what that phrase means to you and doesn't take it the way it means to them and find some middle ground. But right. the important thing to understand is people just assume people hear what you say and nobody hears what you say. And, and, and that's, and so people, so that goes back to, I call it the bad actor. Have I talked to you about the bad no, actor I don't before? Think so so no. I call it the bad actor. Now, when I went to acting school many years ago in New York city, I was also working, I was doing this too. So I was like, oh, this is such a great integration of some of the stuff that patients, clients do, people do in general, human beings. We listen to react, not listen to respond. So one of the, you know, a, the yeah. difference between a, an A-list actor and a B or C actor is if you ever, and I know this is going to sound really weird and it's going to go off track, but, or like porn, if you watch porn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, because I'm putting it in context, yeah. it's it's listening to react. It's not for I'm not listening for what's really going on, even though I know my line. You're waiting for a cue to deliver it's, your line. Uh, now I'm supposed to speak yeah. now, and I didn't hear anything you right. said. I just know that this is what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. And that's inclusive of I'm saying you know people that say I'm sorry, and you know you yeah. can see this in little kids. Little kids initially don't say sorry out of feeling. They say it out of and now I've been told I'm supposed to say I'm sorry. That's why you're supposed to say, why are you sorry? Saying what they and think you want to hear. Why. Kids do that a lot. That's, saying what you, they think you want to hear. Right. Because they haven't integrated that emotional piece to it yet. Mm -hmm. That 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 this has a cause effect relationship. So I think that um, it, it's being able to do that is such an interesting skill of being able to say, hey, I'm sorry. And have it really land on someone. Cause I hear so many times and it's because I'm self-selected in my office. A lot of times people apologize and I'll say, you, you need to apologize for that. And the person will be like, sorry. And then you're like, yeah. but it's not authentic. No. Cause not coming from a place of really being, I really hurt you and I'm hearing you. It's coming from, I'm just saying what I'm supposed to do. I'm reacting. Reacting comes out of emotion. That's not good. Usually responses, genuineness and authenticity comes out of the emotion. That's healthy and logic reality. Mm -hmm. So when you're asking, you know, someone to respond in relationships, people do this all the time, which I'm sure that our trial of the year right now, there was yeah. not, and you can hear it in their tapes. There was not a lot of, at least the tapes I've heard, there was not a lot of responses from Amber. There's a lot of reaction and, and the tapes from Johnny, when he wasn't high or drunk, he's very responsive. So he, when he's sober, he's able to talk and listen and be the A-list actor in life. Yep. Whereas she just feels like she's always B and C actor. Like, I'm just going to keep going at you. And it doesn't matter what you said to me. It doesn't right. matter because the... Because she's living in a distortion, not in the reality of her reaction. Right. Yeah. And so, and doesn't catch herself even with his prompts to say, like, so as a psychologist, I'll prompt people to say okay, did you hear what you said? And did you hear what that person said back? Yeah. It, not nine times out of 10, sometimes 10 out of 10. It's right. Nope. Didn't hear it. And, or the person will repeat back and say, you know, there's a great TikTok that's out now. Don't even get me started. Don't even reference <laughs> that I said that, but there's a TikTok and there's a whole bunch of TikToks about this. It's really funny that they'll, the, the person will come on and, and it'll be someone saying like, I'm leaving this house for the rest of my life because you don't love me anymore. And the person in the background is like, all I said was we can't go out for dinner tonight. Yeah, 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 <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, what did you hear 
versus right. what was said. Well, that's the, the whole apology dynamic is really complex because, again, it, there's two sides to it. Mm. And you could it, it's difficult because generally speaking, people of good of good intent, generally mm -hmm. speaking, don't intend to hurt anybody. Mm. And they probably stumbled into it. Mm -hmm with a phrase that is a trigger that they didn't realize was a trigger. Right. So it's hard to work up a sincere apology because you didn't intend anything. You didn't really do much wrong. It's more the way it landed. Right. But you're going to try to do a sincere apology. But the other person is so triggered by it, they can't even accept a sincere apology. That whole dynamic is really tricky. The whole and apology I, thing is it, very it's tricky. true because it's, it's even with with nuanced little pieces of, of body language and God love my husband. We just had a, that moment this morning. It's like we're so patterned into like little. I have no problem talking about this because yep. it's important, right? He has he has this wonderful ability to do this little eye roll that I catch, <laughs> right? Yeah, I love you, dear. But you know, and then I'll call it and I'll say, "Why are you rolling your eyes?" Yeah. Then it's I'm not rolling my eyes, and then it's 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 on. So I'm laughing about it because it's exactly what you're saying, and and. I've gotten better at being like, oh, just whatever, but it's, we still get into that, you yeah. know, even, even my psychology and his and all the years we've been together, <laughs> yeah. we still get into the nuance of like, I saw you roll your eyes. No, I didn't <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh no, I saw it. You know, yeah. I'm like, don't you tell me. So, but it's those, it's, it's whether it's, I didn't intend to, it was, I don't think he intended to do that. I think it was yeah. just, it's so automatic that it was, and it wasn't an eye roll at me it right was just that's, an eye roll that's but it, i know yeah. that it was just an eye roll and he'll he would right now if he's listening he's like i did not i know he would be like <laughs> i did not roll my eyes but it's it's something i picked up but and, what what you heard with the eye quote unquote heard with right. the eye roll and what he said with the eye roll are two completely different things right yeah. and so yes and that's essentially what he ended up saying yeah. but he never <laughs> rolled but he did by saying <laughs> that he meant this other thing but yeah. but it happens so frequently in everyday life with people that you have to be a good responder yep. and not reactive and you know and it's hard it's a balance because we get caught up in it like you were just saying like you can go right down the the perceptual field of the person that's triggered you or you can step it back and be like fine yeah so it's about taking your part in many cases because whatever it is that triggered you you get you have to ask yourself and i know it's hard but you have to ask yourself was it meant less than i took it Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I know it hurt me or that was the wrong thing to say, or you got me at a bad time or, you know, why are you bugging me? But that's not what's happening on that side of the conversation. Right. You have to kind of accept your part of it. You live and it's not because it's not being tolerable to the other person as right. much as it is being happier, just being happier. I mean, if well, you, I'm thinking about that's why I'm yeah, I'm like being happier. Well, I mean, you have a certain percentage of whatever interaction that went wrong. You have a certain percentage of it. Yeah. And if you can diminish it by that percentage and be self-aware that, well, that hit me like this, but I'm that's not what she meant when she did that. Well, and I think that, and that goes back to the response versus reaction. Mm -hmm. So are you responding, being logical and looking at it like that, or are you being reactive? Now we're talking about like normal, within sure. the norm, healthy relationships. Because seriously, you know, when you look at like abusive relationships or people that are not nice to each other, and even in families, right? Yeah. Uh, we can apply. It's not just in like couples right um people can be passive aggressive and very intentional but still say but i didn't mean it or i'm just joking you know how people will throw out something ha 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 it's funny and then it hurts the person and like yeah. well i was just joking so instead of taking the responsibility for the thing that they said or did it's like well everything's passed off to i was just joking which essentially comes down to gaslighting people yeah. right well passive aggressive is a good example because um you can't do anything about that person's passive aggressive nature right. or their responses, but you can control how you respond to right. it. Right. Right. Especially if you understand that it's passive aggressive, it may right. get annoying to you that the person tends to have that, but you know, certainly being able to respond correctly, but having that context right. and being able to not react to it, not let it trigger you the way it normally would. Right. You know, right. You know, and it's hard. I had a friend who told me once you can't blame a pig for having a short neck. <laughs> Well, I like that. Yeah, which is kind of if, if the person's passive aggressive and you know that's the response you got to get, you're going to get, you know, respond to it less. In other words, learn how to respond to it less. You'll be happier. Um, right. Well, and, yeah. and that's and so that's it's a great technique that I, I teach a lot of my clients is that no response to those. If you can detect that that's what it is, no response will stop the actual passive aggressive person 
words right because they will not continue because they're looking for you to enjoy the game mm -hmm. with them right and then to get into the pit so to speak right so but it's very hard because people feel so defensive or they are so triggered by yeah what do you mean by that or why would you say that because it's so maneuvering to people um but i i hope that i teach my clients i think they would say that when i say if someone's being passive aggressive to you or they're maneuvering you and you feel guilted into doing something you don't want to do or you feel like you can't say no or you feel like because you said no it's a bad thing and or you're they're bad just person. poking the bear because some people will they love to poke the bear right is yeah. is that you just go into non-response mode because you have to like the here's the happiness piece i was going to ex express before when you said oh it's about being happy you can be happy and someone's mad at you yep they're mad at you yep and that's hard for people to sit with because we're trained so much about being people pleasers, women, girls are trained in a very specific mm -hmm. way. And boys are trained in a very specific way. Um, I, I paused because I was waiting for the, <laughs> the comeback. I was waiting, no, but I, we're, we're very socialized into, um, depending on the, on the, the generation, but we're socialized in very different ways of how to be and to not say what we want or what we need to feel guilty, to, not move in the direction of inter -re interpersonal relating because we want to, but because we have to, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have numerous clients that feel compelled that they have to do things with their family members that they haven't seen in a year, or they have to go over for family dinners. They have to do these things have to, yeah. because if they don't, there's this big thing. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> maybe if you got through that big thing, things would kind of fall out the way that they're supposed to be. And then you'd see where the relationships really stand. Think about so, how much better things get when you're not dependent on that. Right. But people don't do that because yeah. they fear abandonment. They fear rejection. They fear making their parent or their sister or their brother or their uncle or their grandma mad. Mm -hmm. um, that's the distress tolerance that people have to be able to stand. Wouldn't you rather have me come to your home because I want to, and I love you yeah. than feeling like I, was forced right now i have people inclusive of in my own personal life in years gone by that would point blank look at me and say i don't care i'd rather you just come because i want you here and it doesn't matter how you feel well <laughs> yeah so i don't go there anymore <laughs> well yeah. those are people you know and listen i grew up irish and italian i understand the concept right those people will have to have the family around because it's part of their self-identity Right. It doesn't have to be a happy family. It's just everybody's going to show up. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so. Because if my kid doesn't show up, I'm it says worthless. It about me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When in fact, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't at all. And no one's thinking about it. And someone might say, hey, where's Lou? And it's just, oh, he couldn't make it or he was working or he just didn't have time today. Yep. And no one dies. Nothing's bad. And, but people to say that if they feel like, you know, I was like you, I was raised with the, you are an extension of us and anything you do is a reflection on me. And even at a young age, I was like, that, that, that's. But it's not even about them. It's not even about your parents wanting you to be there. It's about they want to see, they want your aunts and uncles to see that you're there. Right. Yeah. Well, this, it's this thing. Yeah. It's the show. Yep. I call it the church show. Oh yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Right. The church yeah. show, everyone shows up and what is what are you wearing? And everyone sees you and you always come and you yeah. know you put your little thing in the basket and and that's all it's about as opposed to what about. church is actually about. Right. It's about. not actually yeah. about showing up and having like, how are you? It's more right. about like, oh, look at you look good, you haven't aged, you didn't die. Yeah. It's it's all the, that stuff. And it's like that's so cumbersome on the mental health of you that you know, that's what creates the problem that I started at the top of the show. It creates personality issues it creates defense mechanisms it creates anger resentment envy it, it, you know gets into these places that that's not healthy yeah um so you you know you have these little you, as a little kid you're built on all these things between zero and six years old and by the time you're an adult it just comes flying out if you haven't had good intervention or you don't have good self-awareness to say there's something well that's the right thing here. right you don't have and you continuing to use family as an example because i think it works for all relationships mm -hmm. uh when you're a kid you don't have the choice you got to show up you got to be right. at dinner you got to be at christmas you got to be whatever it is whether you like it or not right you got to be there you don't have a choice and too often it's hard to get out of that once you become an adult right and establishing your own sense of self and your own sense of value and it's like no i'm going to be here um, right yeah 
Well, and I think that it's funny, and you've, we've talked about this before, but, you know, it's like when people become adults and get married and they go off and whatever, and they have kids. It's, and when they have kids, all of a sudden it's like, whew, now I can use the kids as the excuse that we can't come for Christmas because we have little kids or we can't. Right. Instead of just being like, okay, you could have just said, I don't want to go there. You can come to me or we can do something else or, you know, or the people get very staunch about Christmas is on this day or yeah. Hanukkah is on this day or thing. It's a day. And it's a wonderful day if you, but you can celebrate that anytime. You can do that in the middle of July if you want to. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting dynamic about some people have to celebrate with birthdays, for example, have to celebrate on a day. It's a Tuesday, and that just you know, right? Why and, why can't it be on Saturday? Why can't it be a week right, later? Exactly. Why can't it be? It's it's not about the date. Yes. And you know, everyone's inconvenienced because on a Tuesday they got to go do this or do that when it, could it, just as easily do this on Saturday. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, I could say so many things. <laughs> oh, I could say so many things about that. Um, yeah, I'll tell you off air about that whole story yeah. in, in personal stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but this is about assuming control over your own uh, self-awareness and control over your own self-image. Right. Because you shouldn't be influenced by the fact I didn't get to I didn't get this present to her on Tuesday. Right. I got it on Saturday. Right. That's not a that's not a problem. Regardless right. of what they think, that's not a problem. Right. And and. It's not a problem. And when it becomes a problem isn't, and it doesn't have to become your problem, but there are problems on the backside. Like when you said that, I was like, oh, I, I can hear people that I know in, in, in my client list and personal life going, you didn't come on my birthday. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, because I was working, I have, I'll come on Saturday or you, or, you know, you've told them already, like, you know, it's, yeah. you People have expectations when there's narcissism, let's go there. When there's narcissism involved in the, in a person to a higher degree, mm -hmm. right? We all have it. But if it's in a higher degree and the ego is based on, I need you yeah. to fulfill, I need you to fill my cup up. And when you don't show and you don't post on this day that I've deemed important and I deem special where I expect this. Yep. Now I'm going to rail on you. Now I'm going to make it hard for you to function because you disappointed me. And, you, and that's the way that, like you just said, it's like the personal control, but it's doing it in a really unhealthy pathological way because the ego, the narcissist ego that's so damaged already that has nothing to do with you is, is squashing you to get you to do what they need to fill up their cup. And instead of it, you know, cause narcissists don't fill their cup up by themselves. Right. They go to external to have it filled up. And then it, as soon as you go away, it depletes and they find someone else or they wait for you the next time or they implore you to be the next one. And people don't pay enough attention to this. People in the absence of positive attention will take negative attention and seek it. Yep. They, I mean, yes. Attention, you know, they'd rather have positive than negative, but they'll take the negative. Right. So if you if you didn't show up on their birthday and they didn't get the positive attention, they'll make a scene out of it and make you know and, and take the negative attention. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I just have all these like things yeah. going through my head about that. Yes, that is in in fact very true. Um, but it's back to this thing of understand that that's them, right? Not you. And well, by I, the way, don't take that as a hit to your own self image. You're being reasonable. Right. Yeah. And I think that when you become, and here's the, here's one of the things you do in therapy or you do in your own self-help if you don't go to therapy, is you work through to get to a point where other people's disorders, malfunctions, dysfunctions, whatever it is that you deem it, they don't get in the way of your functionality. Now, immediately I hear perceptual field of some people going, that's so selfish. Mm. No, yeah, no. That's not about being selfish. You can still be in the presence of others and still be be there and be a great blah 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 friend, daughter, son, uncle, mother. Right? But you have to be able to, on your own, say, "I need to make sure I'm doing so for me, so that I can be able to do that with good conscience, with good authenticity, and not be envy, resentful." whatever that I'm stuck doing this when I could be doing something else that I really needed to do or I wanted to do because I was manipulated. I hate using that word, but I was manipulated into doing this other thing because so much time passes by in people's lives when they do that. Yeah. And, and well, I think the selfish, that, the selfish act is demanding someone's priority, right? That's the selfish act. And that's, and I, yeah. <laughs> I think that, um, the guilt that people talk about. I mean, I can't tell you how many clients are always like, I feel so guilty. Yeah. You know, and it comes from that piece. I feel so guilty saying no. I feel so guilty letting them down. I feel 
but people, the reason why you feel guilty is because that person that's putting that on you has never sat with their distress tolerance because they just put it on you. My girlfriend yesterday said to me, she was chuckling. She said, yeah, I got out of another class reunion. I said, well, it's pretty easy. Just no. Right. <laughs> Why is this a struggle? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Saying that, like, I don't have to go to that. I don't have to do that. It's like, yeah. I don't want That's to That's totally that. optional. Exactly. Yeah. So, and well, it's funny because I had a client yesterday tell me that she went, she brought her boyfriend to her parents' house because, which is an out of her norm thing to do anyways for dinner herself by mm -hmm. herself. But this is like an, and the family was like, Oh, bring, we want blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. Like she, and I knew she went in going like, I don't want to do this. And then we were sort of serious, but joking about last night. And, Cause I looked at her and she's like, I'm never doing this again. I said, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm like, mm, you will. I said, it might not be soon, but you will, but you don't want to, but you will. Yeah. Because she's still toggling with that saying, no, I don't want this. It makes me uncomfortable because of the dynamic and whatever, but it creates too much of a, um, a, a vapid space for her yeah. with other family members that, it, and it's just, it's such a waste of time. <laughs> You know, be be with people you want to be with. Be with people that you feel yeah. good with. Be with people that you know you you don't feel like you have to be so guarded and protected by your own defenses that it's that that you know it's like when we talk about Thanksgiving and Christmas during COVID. People people reported to me two years of the best of their life in holidays. Like yep. Ian this year made active decisions, even though COVID was almost considered at bay not doing they still didn't they were like ah, i was still worried about COVID. using COVID as the excuse because yeah. it's a great excuse yep. to not do because it just went so much more smooth for them because they didn't have to engage in the dynamic that created them in their family patterns to happen all through and and you know the narcissistic <laughs> tendencies to fall out so it'll be interesting to see how this year falls out for people in that way yeah. um because now but it's, a, it's okay to put your booster. mask on first. It's okay to take care of yourself. Right. It's, it's our, it, and that's not selfish. No. And and that's what I want to drive home to people. It's not selfish or narcissistic or conceited or what, whatever to not want to do something just because it's a holiday with this person, just because they are family or just because they are blah, blah, blah. You have to do what you need to do. And you'll be more likely to want to do that with other people that want you to do that if you have the freedom and the self-will, you know, in terms of your own willpower to feel like you can say yes or no without guilt. That's my current page. One thing with my kids right now, I'm trying to teach them where I've gotten and I got there in my 50s was I only have so much mental energy. I'm going to be stingy right. about it. Right. And it's OK to be that way. Uh, well, first of all, I care less so. I'm going to be that way, whether it's okay or not, well, yeah. but trying to teach them in their twenties that, okay, you don't have to give mental energy where you don't, where you don't want to. Right. And, and the thing is, is that like you, like you just said, I don't know if you learned it in your fifties, but it's like, you know, in my thirties, well, I finally arrived there. Okay. Cause yeah. it was like in my thirties yeah. and it, I was like, probably around 36 years old. I, I can actually say <laughs> right around 36 years old. I finally got it to yeah. say, hands up off the steering wheel i gotta do me yep because i can't do all this mental energy that i knew was problematic from when i was young right and my i mean i had we all have resiliency people in our life i call them our yummy people our emotional yummy people mm -hmm. i had this amazing person in my life who was always like why are you doing this 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 and she would always give me great feedback and then of course she'd get blasted for the feedback she'd give me because of course the room around her essentially would be like don't talk to Kim about that don't taint her mind yeah. but it was actually healthy and that's what kept me I probably by 36 I didn't wait you know to have to think about that I was I'm like I'm not doing this but it's not easy because it's a it's not that it's not there it's just that I have to cognitive behaviorally yep rock and roll it to be like, nope, because the, the benefit that I have by doing my life in the way I need to first outweighs all the other stuff. Yeah. I the think mental energy that's spent is exhausting and derailing of 
my life. I think I found it through close friends. I think I found it through people who don't demand my attention. In fact, mm -hmm. just had a text exchange with a buddy that I played softball with years ago. We may not talk for a couple of years, yep. but the text message comes up and we have a few laughs and we go and you're okay. I'm okay. Yep. It's like, it's just, you're safe. And, well, and that's the thing everyone understands I, that you're doing, you're living your life, you're doing your thing. Right. You know. Well, and I think that that's one of the best things. So I have, I have a best friend and I, and I encourage people to like, what you just said is find people in your life. If that you can travel with and you don't have to be with all the time, yeah. the person that's going to be your bestie and has, you know, die, you know, your ride and die is going to be the one that at the beginning of the day says, Hey, want to go do this? And then two hours later, they're like, I'm going to go take a nap and I'll see you later. And you're like, I'm going to go do this. And you don't, it, yep. it, there's, there's no pretense. There's no worry. Um, as you know, I went on vacation. I, this brings to mind because this is such an important piece of, of being non-narcissistic, being present in your authenticity of who you are and true to yourself is, you know, I went on a little vacation with, with my best, one of my besties, you know, a while ago. And, and there were four of us and it was girls and whatever. And that was the best. We were all together, but we spent, we knew that we were going to get together for dinner every night. We yep. knew that we, but we all just were like, Hey, but, 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 and, and I haven't seen them since. And I just happened to see, I'm my, my besties here visiting from yep. Florida for the next week. And we saw each other last night and it's like, never mm -hmm. missed a beat, you know, no, right. There's nothing. And they know everything and have seen everything and yep. accept everything. Yep. You're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't talk for a year or, you and know. It's, and it's not yeah. like it's, oh, well, you didn't call me or you haven't right. seen. Nope. It's just like, it's, you just keep going. Yep. With no strings. And that's what a wonderful feeling it is. And, and people really seek that. And a lot of times, you know, in family, friendships, romantic relationships, business relationships, people try to seek that as well. And it's about you just feeling like confident enough in yourself to say, I'm okay with saying yes. I'm okay with saying no. I'm okay with going and doing my own thing. I'm okay with standing up for myself. Like, and that's a it, big tall orders for lots of people. And I get that. But being your best self, having good mental health, having all those things is really being able to look at all the aspects of what is weighing you down. Yep. What's taking your mental energy from you? And how's it impacting you? And how's it impacting other people? And and then what do you do with it? It's just, but it's it's hard work. And that's why, you know, people say, oh, you had people, you, I have people that I've had for 15, 20 years in my practice. They're like, why, why are they still with it? Because they're, they're still working on their leaps and bounds better. And, but they need that maintenance for themselves because they feel like they need the check and balance. They need, I serve as their emotional connector or their emotional yummy person as a reminder of like, it's okay to do that. It's okay to say no. It's okay to not have to yeah. run because someone said go, you know, you're okay. But the um, best people give you that opportunity too, because I, did you watch Yellowstone? This week? No, just oh, have you seen the series? Yeah, well, I've seen some of it. Yes. Yeah, with Beth and Rip. Yeah. There, there was one scene that just I just cling to because I loved it, and they had an argument over the kid, and she's at the rail fence to him, and she goes, and she goes, "I love you, and I'm going to see you tonight, but f you." Yeah. And she walked away, and they both started chuckling. Yeah. And that's the that's right. That's exactly what the way it should be. Right. You know, and, I don't like this. I'm upset with you right at the moment, but everything's fine. But I can walk away now. Yeah. Now, perfect tie back into. And I don't know if you've seen it, but, you know, the the, the non-ability for the the relationship that's on trial, essentially, that's Amber and Johnny couldn't do that. Yeah. And that's very indicative of many couples that I see. I, not to I mean, I I've actually seen a couple sets of couples that are just as bad as them in terms of their toxicity. But that speaks to. You know, you hear one of the tapes and, and I think what you just said is so profound in that way is that he's he's telling her, I, I'm going to leave. I will text you in three hours. I'm going to walk away. And she's like, stop. No, don't go. And yeah. it is this tussle. And now, of course, she's made it into I wasn't saying for him to not go. I was looking at his daughter, looking after his daughter. It was all this stuff that you just knew. But right. even here and and he was he and he's like this is not healthy. This is not, it, let me go. And she's like, you're abandoning me. Like, so it's that piece that yeah. the damage won't allow for the relationship to just say like the Yellowstone is like, it's okay to walk 
away and have that healthy boundary because you're going to come back. Yep. But so many people with damages or trauma from childhood are always afraid of being abandoned. So they create the environment to get abandoned. Well, that's a relationship of ultimate safety, right. Rip and Beth, where right. Amber, and I'm guessing, I don't know her and right. I haven't even watched trial, but it sounds like she's in a perpetual state of losing the relationship. Right. So there's no is. safety. And it's not necessarily because of him. It's just because of the way she walked up to the relationship exactly. in her life. Right. And so you can she can't see that. feel safety. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and, and so again, disclaimer i don't know either of them mm -hmm. but just in watching them and watching what they presented and hearing the psychologist and all that in the history yes because in my own practice relationships that are like that have it's not because it's that relationship it's because they've walked into it with the stuff and they've triggered each other and they were just a bad match yeah um and one might be a little healthier than the other one and one you know and you know when you add alcohol and sobriety and all these things, and it's you the say, lower end of the scale, but they're on different places. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and when, and so really important to this is like when, cause it's so prevalent in, in this country is when someone gets sober, now it's harder to maneuver that person. So it's that when someone gets better, the person either is going to get better with you, which didn't yeah. happen in this case, they stay the same or they get worse. Right. And oftentimes when you have a, a narcissistic personality disorder person or a borderline personality disorder person in this kind of tumultuous, toxic, dark relationship stuff, which happens a lot in, in addiction, the person who's not the, in the addiction, they're in the addiction to the relationship as it stood when there was all this stuff going on. Right. So when that person gets like better and has clear mind and is saying like rational things with a, their lens is straight, yep. not all wavy and distorted, the other person's unseated by that and they, well, that's unravel. A that's a threat, right? It's a threat to their to their stability. We accepted each not... other because we had the same issues going on. But right. now that he's sober or she's sober, right. how are they going to look at me? Right. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. is a we, this is a constant thing in my practice all the time with people because they'll be like, you know, my my spouse or my this or my that or my parent doesn't you know like me and they wanted me to be sober. But now they're the, like right because this yeah. is what's happening because they 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 liked enabling you their chain their role has changed they don't like where they're at you yeah. know i mean hold another show which we can certainly talk about but yeah. i was good enough when you were addicted am right. i still good enough now that you now that now, now you beat it yeah you right. you've won and i haven't right yeah so really quickly because i know that the time on the wall is starting to say that we're getting close to the end i did not want the day to go past um and i certainly am going to see how this falls out because i know that you know the world brings good topics for me to talk about every week. And unfortunately in Uvalde, Texas yesterday, yeah. there was a mass shooting of 21 people, 19 children and two adults um, in the school system. And I don't know if the, Oh, and I, that does not include the shooter. Um, and that does not include the grandmother that I don't know if she survived or not because he started out by shooting the grandmother first. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to get a litany of conversations. I usually get called by schools and other people about how to talk to your kids about this. And cause it's scary and you know, and the, it's, it's a lot of psychology to this. And, um, first of all, you know, if you're a praying person, certainly put good vibes out into the world for these families, cause it's very devastating. It's a small little community and they certainly, I'm sure weren't expecting this, uh, nor would anybody be. Um, but, uh, uh, certainly, you know, remember, you know, like, here's, here's the day to day, everything, like, don't let your days go by without making yeah. sure you shore up your edges and have, you know, with the people that you really want to be around and the people that you really love and all that stuff. So that, cause you never know, obviously. And, um, I'm and sure here, the debate will be, I've already heard it this morning on the news. It's, Guns versus yeah. mental health. <laughs> yeah, so, well, this is my point. This is the point that aggravates me about this. For the time, I knew being, this was going to spark you. For the time being, I grieve for the kids and the families and and the event. We don't know anything yet, and I'm not even right. ready to take a position myself. Right, that's ex why. I except I'm it. a Second Amendment guy, but that's a whole another story. I'm not ready to take a position on this myself because I don't know. Nobody knows any details. No right. details have been released, and that's why I didn't spend my time talking yeah. about it today. Other than what I'm saying right now is so that take a breath. Right. grieve for the people and you know feel feel the emotions of the incident and before you start drawing conclusions and going you know right and well and, and people have asked me even yesterday late afternoon a little bit already like what do i you know you know don't some people like don't talk to the kids about it kids are going to hear about it 
always talk to your kids about it, mm-hmm. about whatever's happening in the world that they're bringing to you. Always directly talk to your kids about it in an age appropriate way. So if you have an eight year old that's talking about being afraid of being in third grade and getting shot, do not ignore that. Right. Um, do not ignore that. And don't start talking about politics with them. No. Talk to them about making sure that they know that they're safe in their schools, that these things don't happen very often, but they do happen. Don't sugarcoat like that. Oh, it's not going to happen to you because little kids, they, you know, there's a reason why they're doing all these drills in schools, but just say it's unlikely that it's going to happen to you. It's, it's a one-off kind of thing, like age appropriately say that, but I understand that you're afraid, but you know, in many schools will put into in-service right now, they'll have like debriefs about it and parents go, Oh, don't talk about it. You have to talk about it. Cause why bring up anxiety in children if, and not have them talk about it? So if you're listening out there and people have kids, please make sure you age appropriately speak to your children about what's happening, especially if they bring it to you and say, what happened in, in Texas? By the or way, what? ask them if their school has engaged them. Right. Because I, I would be interested to know if the school did engage them and in what way they engaged them. Right. And, and usually, usually they're I'm now in my, in when Sandy Hook happened, like everybody went into the go back and practice all the lockdowns and make sure, you know, but all the school systems around here are all locked. And I don't know, like you said, don't know all the details, don't know how he got in, don't know what happened, but I, yeah. So we'll save that for next week for sure. Cause then we'll know by then, but certainly keep, keep those good energy pieces out into the world for the families and, and very sad and yeah. awful. Cause these children were in second, third and fourth grade. And just imagine the sheer, sadness and terror and awful fear that happened in there and and thank for those two teachers that tried to stop him and and for the for the for lack of better the militia team that came and essentially stopped it yep so um thank god for that um because it could have been much worse from what i was hearing this morning but don't know all the details but um anyway on that note i'm going to just make it a little happier that this is memorial day weekend so please everybody be safe Mm mm-hmm if you're going to drink, drink responsibly. Um, don't do anything crazy. Um, but have a really nice weekend wherever you are and whatever you're doing and, and say yes to things that you want to say yes to and no to things because <laughs> right. the family is the family event weekend. So, you know, make sure you fill your cup up first before you fill other people's up so that you can be your best person. So, all right, you guys, I will see you next week and we will be on to a new month of new topics. Yay. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Bye.